Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast. I'm your host Jared White, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Dominic Orlando. Titan on attack. Well, I actually kind of lied, not as always, because you weren't on last week. <laughs> so almost always. Usually. Yeah. Uh, Chris Noons, a friend of the show, uh, filled in for you last week, thankfully. Um, but this week we're back, the dynamic duo of us two. Kind of slow news week, if I'm being honest. I was rumbling through everything, seeing what we could talk about this week. And I found some stuff that uh, on its own might not be a huge news story, but there's some added context behind the news that gives us some talking points regarding some launch dates, some uh, casting news, and some other uh, stuff revealed in earnings calls as well, some journalist info as well. So we're going to hop into it. Not a whole lot to talk about on the front end here. First off... Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart finally has a release date, Dom. We've been waiting. Obviously, this is going to be the second major PS5 only title. It's going to be coming June 11th. If you're unfamiliar, uh, Demon's Souls, uh, as with a, a handful of smaller titles, were the only like PS5 only games. Whereas titles like Spider-Man Miles Morales came out both on PS4 and PS5. And we already know that Horizon uh, Forbidden West is going to be on both. God of War Ragnarok is in a weird place. I don't want to get to both of those games shortly, but in terms of this release date, June 11th, would it be safe to say this is later than most people hoped it would be, but maybe where everyone assumed it could be based on COVID and everything? Yeah, as time passed too, right? Like when it was first announced, right? Like last year, was it like last fall when they first talked about it? Last summer? It was during um, the PS5 uh, reveal event, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, around the summer, right? So like... They the first thing they said was launch window, I think. Um, so in, in our heads, we were like, oh, so, you know, like maybe December or maybe into January, February at the latest, right? And then I think later they delayed it kind of, right? What, they never really gave a date into Q2 or something they said next. So, like, as as like each month went past, it was kind of like, you know, you look, you're looking at the calendar like, shit, that's going to still be another minute, isn't it? And so... Even though originally, yeah, we kind of hoped it would be maybe in the March time frame. June is about, you know, at this point, what, what we could have expected. Yeah, for me, I know people want to assume, like, oh, launch window, that must mean three to four months. And obviously, that's the optimistic side of it. But yeah. to me, as long as it launches in the first year, I think launch window is okay. Obviously, it's not what everyone wants, but it's still, yeah. you know, it's a first year of release. It's a... It's a bit of a subjective term, I suppose. You could, you could make an argument that it's yeah only three months since launch, or even a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very large window. I don't know if we yeah. could afford houses with that <laughs> large of windows, but somebody can. Yeah. Somebody out there. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the repercussions of this. Um, we had Jeff Grubb uh, talking on Twitter about how PlayStation might be in a place where they want to string out and stretch out their releases for ps5 due to the supply constraints that are happening with the console and that makes sense um and also there's the idea of like not placing things on top of one another um and that's with obviously horizon forbidden west and god of war ragnarok now both of those games are both slated for this year 2021 uh, like we previously stated horizon forbidden west is going to be releasing on both consoles so it seems like that one might have an easier time getting to the finish line in terms of development uh, what, whereas we're not sure where God of War Ragnarok falls in that spectrum. Um, and I guess I'm of the belief now with this date, I was kind of already firmly planted in, even if this game came out in like February, March, now that it's coming out in June, I'm more of the belief that Horizon Forbidden West is like their fall game and God of War Ragnarok is delayed. And that's not necessarily that this correlates directly to that, but this kind of like confirms my own suspicions beforehand. Um, not that they directly correlate, but it kind of gives me more like footing to stand on in terms of my belief with all of that. Where do you stand in terms of PS5's launches for the rest of 2021 in, in regards to those two big exclusives? Yeah, I think this this might have influence, but I, I still think like you know whatever happens with God of War and Horizon is got like, in my head. It's mostly dependent upon each of the, those games. In their status individually um less so in relation to the larger portfolio i guess um i think i mean if i had to bet they're both getting delayed out of this year right oh wow yeah you know and granted that's not what i you wouldn't have guessed that if you looked at my fantasy league necessarily but <laughs> um 
as I play a little risky there. But anyway, yeah, like I'm guessing like neither of them are going to be done in time anyway this year. So I don't realistically, it's like, I mean, Ratchet and Clank probably maybe they would have intentionally spread it away from that um, just to keep things apart from each other. But I don't think they're going to even have to make that kind of decision anyway, because, you know, Sony has always been like uh, give, you know, delays. Sure. As many delays as you need. Take the time you need especially with their their biggest studios right so for god of war ragnarok like that might get two or three delays before we finally see it if 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 that santa monica says like we need more time then they're gonna get it right like um we, we've seen that happen with naughty dog with like i want to say like every uh, like the last of us part two uncharted four like so many other naughty dog games get delay after delay until um until they're ready so like i don't see horizon or god of war coming out this year realistically anyway regardless of ratchet and clank but that's just you know i guess i suppose well and it's weird because the halo infinite delay might be a good thing in the long run not only for the game itself but if there is no big fall launch title for ps5 then xbox is kind of going to kind of be the the big kid on the playground right they're going to be by themselves amongst all obviously all the other third-party publishers but if those two games get pushed out of 2021 there isn't like there's another Obviously, you know, Sony can market with another third-party title, right? Get the marketing rights and kind of advertise it as a PS5 title, as they always seem to do. But they're they're not going to have something else to compete directly with Halo Infinite if these two games get delayed. So it'll be interesting to see how yeah. things fall. I, I, I mean, like the release date for Ratchet & Clank 2 of June 11th. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an area yeah. where we don't see a lot of game releases. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I guess, like, that we know of, they don't have anything, right? I'm still... I'm still feeling like there's got to be a Last of Us, re- Last of Us Part Two remaster and multiplayer mode, whatever the heck that ends up looking like. I would bet that that's going to be this year, right? And it's probably going to have a shorter uh, announcement to release uh, time too. So like that's why I was like, I mean, it's only February to also, but like I could see them announcing that in a couple months and it coming out in, within a, a few months of the announcement too. And depending on the size of that, I mean. That's a big deal. Is it as big as Halo Infinite? Probably not, unless it is bigger than we assume it is. But it's something, right? Yeah. Um. But we also don't know if that's going to go over well with people, in terms of like what is it going to be priced? How is it going to be? Yeah. That's a know, big, big variable is <laughs> how they decide to handle that kind of thing and exactly what is included and yeah, what's new versus like okay, so we got to pay for the remaster for real. Um, like, is it going to be worth it over just playing? you know backwards compatible from the old version yeah there's there's a lot they could screw it up big time if because we had this we careful. had to see the backpedaling with the spider-man uh remaster right where they had to like change mm-hmm. the packaging of it and all that stuff and then obviously yeah. they related peter parker recasting we'll see what happens though ratchet and clank ripped apart hopefully it's good coming out june 11th i think a lot of people have been yearning for a new ratchet as well as a new sly cooper the raccoons in order to be seen but at least we're getting this uh next up kingdom hearts the series is finally coming to PC. This was announced via the Epic Game Store showcase that happened the day we're recording this, which is February 11th. It's coming March 20th. All the games are going to be released on there. Uh, off the top of my head, I don't remember the names of all the games, but the the collection that everyone wants of the main titles is going to be uh, $50, and the sequel collection is $60, I believe. But it's really cool that they're all coming to PC finally. Obviously, everyone loves Kingdom Hearts as weird as the story gets. and um, But it's nice to see. I know people are going to have problems with it coming exclusively to the Epic Game Store. But I've always never understood why people are upset about downloading another uh, you know, uh, platform launcher. to get your game yeah. titles on. Yeah, but launcher. In addition to that, too, I think part of uh, – we've probably talked about it before. But what this makes me think of is like – you complain about yeah having to open another launcher but like maybe this wouldn't have happened at all if yeah not. if it wasn't for epic games wallet <laughs> exactly if not for epic games actually providing some competition and taking a smaller cut or what i in this case what i assume is like you know some kind of one-time payment or whatever to to square to you know put these games out just on their store like maybe they wouldn't have bothered porting this to pc at all if not for epic game store so like i I think that's got to be the case at least in some of these scenarios for some of these epic exclusives right so like i wouldn't i would hesitate to get too upset um as mad that you are that you have to 
click on a new icon next to your Steam launcher. God forbid. And this is promising for other Square Enix titles, too, because if they're willing to bring Kingdom Hearts over to the PC, I wonder if Epic Games is going to have more in store in terms of Final Fantasy VII Remake and mm -hmm. a lot of the other beloved Square Enix titles. So we'll see what happens there. There was some smaller news at the showcase that I didn't think was worthy of its own news, but it was like Axiom Verge 2 is coming exclusively to PC on the Epic Game Store. Obviously, the game's already announced for Nintendo Switch. There was a couple other smaller things. Um, so if you're interested in that, go check it out. Once again, Epic Game Store. Uh, they're also running a sale if you're curious on uh, getting some games for a cheaper price, which is pretty dope. They're always giving away free games, and now they have a sale for them as well. That's it for new dates, though. We're going to get into some gaming casting news. Obviously, over the last couple of years, we've seen a rise in these companies, these streaming services, these battling streaming services, looking for already existing properties and IP that are successful so they can turn them into television shows and movies on demand for people. And we've seen that the Borderlands movie was announced. We've seen that The Last of Us, uh, as we, we just talked about, show was announced for HBO Max. And we got some casting rumors, or sorry, not rumors, official casting for both of those. So first up, one of my favorite actors on this planet, Jack Black, has officially been cast as Claptrap in the Borderlands movie. Now, this is a weird monkey's paw thing for me, Dom, because... Are you familiar with the term monkey's paw, by the way? No. So, it's weird. It's a, like, it's like, it seems like an older term that nobody my age or younger knows, but it's like when you ask a genie, when you wish for something from a genie, but they give you what you want with a weird twist, like they kind of screw you over. That's called the monkey's paw, right? So, the monkey's paw situation here is that I would wish for Jack Black to be in a video game movie, but the pro obviously he's in Jumanji, which is a board game, yada, yada, yada. But the weird thing is he got cast in Borderlands, which is a franchise I don't care about. And then he got cast as the character I hate. Like, I don't like Claptrap. The, the Borderlands experiences I've had, not a good time uh, with Claptrap. Just find that character vastly annoying. Um, and it's so funny because Kevin Hart's also in this movie, too. Uh, so oh. it's like Jumanji, the sequel, right, of like the Borderlands film having all these actors. I'm curious to watch this film now with Jack Black being Claptrap because him voicing that character won't be the same as the character from the games. And I know maybe fans will hate that. But for me, it might make the character like palatable uh, at this point. And I'm down to support Jack Black uh, in whatever he does. I'm not a big Kevin Hart guy, though, so I'm kind of falling somewhere in the middle. Uh, what does this casting news do for you? I know it probably does nothing, but is it cool to see these A-list actors getting into these video game movies where we can potentially finally have a good one? Yeah, that's about is the only perspective I can I can give on that. I like Jack Black as much as anybody too, but um, <clears throat> and and I guess Kevin Hart's fine, whatever. But I think that yeah, my bigger takeaway is like like you said, like these are bigger named actors. Um, uh, being a part of this movie so i think that's a good sign for video game movies in general um yeah but otherwise i'm like i've never played a Borderla borderlands game um from the bits of the the humor that they have that i've heard i'm kind of like eye rolling you know so the thought of a borderlands movie isn't exactly appealing to me in any sense you know, so I'm like, all right, I hope I hope it's great. You know what I mean? But it's just uh, it's going to be a hard sell for me personally. Well, and I wonder how the casting came about, because Jack Black is like a gamer. He, he plays video games. He has a channel, all that stuff. He enjoys video games. A really good Red Dead Redemption like character he made up where if they ever do a Red Dead movie, I want him in that movie. Because uh, people often forget the comedians are oftentimes really good, serious actors as well. I mean, look at Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. Anyways. I wonder how this came about because Kevin Hart was already cast in the film. They worked on Jumanji together, and it seems like they're good friends. And I wonder if they were look when they were looking to fill out the cast, maybe Kevin Hart's like, you know, it would be perfect for this role, Jack Black. And they're like, Jack Black, do you think we could get him? And Kevin Hart's like, yeah, for sure. And then they probably went to Jack Black, and they're like, hey, we'll offer you this blank check to come voice this character in this video game movie. He's like, hell yeah, sure. Jack Black just seems like the dude that's he's not gonna take like bad movies necessarily. He's not Nicolas Cage. But I think he's always up to try something new, right? And I, I, I'm I'm excited to see what happens. The moment the trailer releases and we hear Jack Black as Claptrap, that'll be where I decide if I'm actually going to see this film or not. And we'll see what yeah. happens there. I am very interested in what the heck this is going to look like. But uh, as far as, like, excitement, yeah, I'm kind of like, we'll see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, man, the Sonic movie looked weird, but it ended up being pretty good for all accounts. 
people oh, enjoyed yeah. that film. And it's getting a sequel, so who knows? And the uh, next the Pokemon movie that was or the Pikachu movie, people like yeah, that. Yeah, Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Uh, so next up, some casting news that both of us really, really care about, and that's the Last of Us show on HBO Max. Now, this was really funny because at the beginning of the day, uh, we heard that Mahershala Ali was offered the role of Joel in Last of Us. Now, I think he's a fantastic actor, so I was kind of stoked at the idea of that. If anybody's never watched True Detective, go watch that series. He's in season three of that show. He's such a good actor. You should know him already. He's going to be Blade in MCU. I was stoked about that. I was like, oh, is it going to be him? Is it not? Then we get the news uh, that we got the actress for Ellie cast, which I'm going to get to shortly and say who it is. And then later, after the Gina Carano Mandalorian news broke... Like 10 minutes after that happened of her being fired uh, by Disney and Lucasfilm, Pedro Pascal was announced as the actor who got cast as Joel in this television show. Obviously, you should know him from Game of Thrones or Mandalorian or even Narcos. Fantastic actor. And Ellie was cast, and that's Bella Ramsey. And if you don't re- recognize that name, she's obviously Lady Mormont from Game of Thrones, uh, who kind of stole the show whenever she was on screen. And she's also in a really awesome animated show on Netflix called Hilda. She voices the main character. So she's a fantastic actress. Um, obviously, they neither of them super look like the characters from the game, but who cares? I guess just off the top, Dom, what do you feel about this casting for the show? And does it get you excited for an adaptation that might not be exactly like the first game, uh, but with these fantastic actors in the place of those characters? Yeah, I mean, that both sound good to me, right? Like, there's obviously, like, for the last couple i guess for the last year ever since they announced the last of a show like everyone's going through like who they want for joel and ellie right like you know we want josh brolin or um there's some like there's like obvious choices of like bigger you know typically grizzly looking dudes that they want to be as joel right um whereas pedro pascal is i mean he's he's been more like clean cut in, in in his roles and stuff but like so it it's like i think maybe initially hard to picture for some people but um he was really I, in game of thrones he was excellent and uh and the mandalorian too it's like different because uh he's mostly voice acting so it's that's like interesting but i like I, i've been that's kind of like one of my critiques about the mandalorian is i want more of the mandalorian uh, r- I, rather i want more of like din without his helmet on like we're yeah barely gotten enough of that right i want more of uh pedro right but uh no i think i think this is uh a great casting and it's always like exciting when it's it's someone who the you know the the geek community more or less is already familiar with right like um it reminds me a lot of uh you know henry cavill uh, being Geralt in the in the witcher show right where Oh, like he was in, uh, you know, he was Superman and stuff. So like, the, there's a good amount of crossover between, between those shows, and there's a good, probably a good amount of crossover between like the Mandalorian and Game of Thrones, as, uh, as there will be with The Last of Us, I assume. So, um, I think, I think it's a, it's a pretty good casting, and, and same with, uh, with Bella. I can't remember her last name. already. Ramsey, but, uh, Ramsey. which is ironic considering Game of Thrones. Yeah, Ramsey Bolton, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, and like I've only seen her in just Game of Thrones, so we'll see more. Um, I mean, I, I I'm excited for this. The fact that um, like Neil Druckmann is like, I don't know exactly his role. I I want to say he's co-writing the show. Um, he's heavily involved to some extent, right? So like that's more like what was important to me. Like it's not getting taken over by you know, a bunch of Hollywood people who aren't consulting uh, with the writers from the games, right? Which is my fear with the Uncharted movie. Um. But I do like Tom Holland. We can get into that later. Um, but yeah, I, no, I think this is exciting. And I do love both of them posted on their Instagrams quotes from the game with a picture from, uh, you know, the iconic image uh-huh. of Joel and Ellie in the truck. Um, okay. And Troy Baker even gave his blessings. Obviously, he didn't need to do that. But I think he felt like people are going to say, like, why wasn't I in you know the film or whatever? And he's like, these are fantastic actors. I can't wait to see what they bring to the characters. Um and obviously there's an argument of like, how come, you know, if the video games are so good, why do, why does Hollywood and, and entertainment industry feel the need to make these films? And I, I get that. But from the same perspective, there's so many people who don't play video games and don't really take in storytelling from that medium and enjoy it. And if you have something like The Last of Us, which is so special, why not try to deliver that to another audience? And from what everyone involved has said, it's like, it's going to follow a lot of the same 
thematic points and main narrative spots of the story but it is gonna for people who have gone through last of us the video game it is gonna feel different so i'm excited i love both of these actors yeah and i can't wait to see them just do their thing uh, and i'm glad that they didn't feel the need to stick to you know uh a white dude they didn't need to cast a white dude for joel they went with pedro pascal who's ethnically diverse in terms of the way he looks and like i said That's before mershaw lee i would have been down with too because for me it's more about can this actor is he in the same age range i care more about age than race if anything right like do they look like the age of what the character is supposed to be like i don't really it doesn't really matter to me about race and are they a good actor like can they take on this role and perform and pedro pascal is a fantastic actor bella ramsey is and mershaw lee was and I'm interested to see who the side characters are going to be, too, because for a lot of Last of Us fans, those side characters make a lot of the storytelling special. Like, what's the name of the um, Bill, right, is the game mechanic that uh, you run into? Oh. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but he's yeah. a mechanic. You're right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I lo- I confused you there for a second. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting side characters that I can't wait to see. And depending on how long the show goes, I wonder if we get to the Abby stuff, right, of Last of Us Part Two and how all of that gels out. But it's HBO Max, so at least the production quality is going to be really high as well. So we'll see what happens there. Next up, we got a review roundup for Little Nightmares 2. This, I had some skin in this game because I picked this. I drafted this in both the Controlled Interest official fantasy critic league that dom and i are doing and i also drafted it in the personal one that uh dom chris who was on last week's show and i are doing and it's sitting at an 82 on metacritic which is pretty good obviously this is a second game uh for all of us that have claimed games to come out the first one was no the third game sorry because it was hitman 3 which you scored a, like what 16 points on correct oh yeah and then that it was, was that was a good pick Chris, who got the medium, which I think got him like six points, so not a great hit. Uh, and I don't think, did either of us get the medium in ours? No, I, I skipped that one, I think. Uh, and then, obviously, now Little Nightmares 2, which got me 12 points. So I wanted to go over some reviews. Uh, I'm going to go over one from Game Informer and one from Easy Allies. So the first one is from Jeff Cork over at Game Informer. He gave it a 93 And he said, quote, this impressive follow-up builds on its predecessor with emotional gut punches and unnerving visuals that stick with you, unquote. Um, So basically saying, you know, it kind of just follows up on the horror elements that the first game established and is just as scary and weird. Uh, Real quick, Dom, are you familiar with Little Nightmares 1? I know we talked about it before that you you felt it was, it sounded interesting to you at the very least. Yeah, I never did play it, but the the aesthetic uh, and the idea are, are appealing. But that's something that... I never did get around to, so maybe, maybe I will one of these days. Yeah, I'm. I have it uh, downloaded. I just haven't gotten the chance to get to it yet. I love the first Little Nightmares. It's so creepy. It definitely gives me. It's like if, uh, it's like James and the Giant Peach, right? It gives me those vibes, uh, like James and the Giant Peach meets Nightmare Before Christmas, which are both Tim Burton films. Uh, wait, is James and the Giant Peach Tim Burton? I don't know about the film, but James and the Giant Peach, I want to say it was like a Roald Dahl book. It's a Roald Dahl book, I think, but yeah, the film, okay. I don't know if it's a Tim Burton book, but anyways, it's like both of those art styles mixed up into one, and it's really creepy, and I love it. But let's get to Brad Alice's review of Easy Allies. Um, he gave it an 85, which is closer to, the obviously, the aggregate of 82, and he says, quote, Little Nightmares 2 once again takes you on a disturbing journey through a vividly realized world. And the sense of danger and desperation you feel is as chilling as ever. Inventive new gameplay elements keep you thinking about how to outsmart your hunters, and your partner brings a strong sense of companionship. Whether you're a fan of the first game or a newcomer, Little Nightmares 2 is worth taking a journey into the dark. Pretty good write-up. Um, obviously a little bit more uh, long-winded than the, the previous reviewer, but both of them gave it really good scores. Uh, I can't wait to hop in. You know, horror is such a niche genre in video games, so it's whenever we get a, a new one that's more than a 7, it's really nice to see because normally horror games at best are like in the mid-70s, which still good games, but we never get like the premiere title, so it's good to see this one scoring pretty well. And remember, uh, if you end up purchasing this game, the developers already announced that anybody who purchases it gets the free upgrade to next-gen when that version of the game is available. So maybe that's when you could decide to hop in, Dom, when the PS5 version comes out. And I'm assuming they'll probably have a package deal, right, with the first game as well. And maybe you can hop in that way. Because it isn't... They're not. Well, I don't know about the second game. 
But the first game was only like three and a half, four hours long, I think. Okay. Um, maybe like five at most. And I'm assuming the second one is maybe an hour longer than that. I haven't actually looked into it, but I doubt it's much longer than the first game, right? Similar scope, I'd assume. But it's good to see it getting good reviews. Um, we started off the year pretty well. Obviously, the medium tried to innovate, didn't necessarily hit it, came up with mid-70s, like said, Hitman 3 reviewed very well. Uh, but Little Nightmares 2 are reviewing pretty well as well. So I'm, I'm interested to see how games end up the rest of the year. We mentioned earlier Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart coming out. That's a game that could end up across the board. Like I don't see, see it getting higher than a 90, uh, but it could be a low 70, mid 70, high 70, low 80, mid 80, high 80. It could run anywhere on there. Um, but because Insomniac's such a good developer, I have faith that it'll probably be on the higher side of things. That's it for the news. I have a question to pose to you, Dom. Uh, we yeah. could have talked about this in the news, but it's more interesting in terms of a conversation topic. It was recently revealed that EA would be deciding the fate of Anthem this week. And what that means is that they've had a smaller team working on the next version of Anthem, right? Anthem Next, I believe is what it's called. And this is supposed to be the revitalization of the terrible launch of Anthem to try to get people reinvested, to try to get people to play the game again. And EA is deciding this week, do we add more people to this and make this a real thing and try to hit a timeline by the end of the year, right, to get this out? Or do we just cut, bait, run, and move people to the uh, the other projects that we have in the works? Now, I wanted to ask you, because I have my feelings on this, and I'm pretty sure you have some feelings too. And keep in mind, we're not saying, like, this is what's going to happen. We're just saying what we, what we would prefer. Like, we were in charge of EA, what we would do. So should Bioware continue an attempt to relaunch Anthem in a meaningful way, or should they put their efforts towards Dragon Age 4, Mass Effect 4, and other new projects? What do you think about that, Don? <laughs> I, I, if you know me a little bit, um, like we know each other, I think I think you know, right? Uh, nah, just be done with Anthem. Like, yeah. just put it out to pasture, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I didn't even try it, right? But, like, <clears throat> um, they tried to get on the trend, uh, you know, of a big big games as a service uh you know cooperative whatever however you want to describe it and and they ran into troubles that a lot of those games run into but maybe to a worse extent and it just couldn't uh couldn't really get any momentum going and well i I mean i totally admire like them trying to regroup and get it back together and and this is obviously biased for me because that's typically not my kind of game but um i just i from a personal perspective of like i prefer single player games especially single player rpgs and action rpgs like yeah dude let's make mass effect 4 let's let's you know shove more budget into the next jedi fallen order let's make battlefront 3 um and and so um apex legends even let's let's really push hard on that right because that um as far as i'm aware like that's got to be making them good money right whereas anthem is only got to be costing them money and that's just going to be so hard um, if not impossible, even if they do everything right at this point to be able to get Anthem to a point where it's, you know, as profitable as they want it to be, which they probably have pretty high standards for how much money they want out of, out of that game. Right. So I'm thinking just, we got to move on from, from Anthem and, and go in a single player direction, um, with, with some of our investments, which like, it just feels like there's more money there. There's more potential profit in, in that area to them, like with the franchises they own and like, and what they've developed like so far as of late, I don't know. I just, I feel like from every angle, that's a better choice. Like that that's where I'm at. Yeah. It's interesting. So people want to try to compare this to no man's sky or even fallout 76. And I think comparing Anthem to both of those things doesn't make sense for two reasons. One fallout 76 is already an established franchise, right? Mm-hmm. So trying to make that work means a lot to the brand because you're not only fixing it to have people play the game, you're fixing it to make sure the brand of Fallout isn't screwed up forever, right? Yeah. So that's very important. With No Man's Sky, you're talking about an indie developer trying to make sure that they don't kill themselves in terms of their public image in the industry as a whole. Because unlike these major publishers, you kind of live and die on each release you have. So for No Man's Sky, it was like, okay, they either make that game good and people come back to it. And even if people don't come back to it, people know that they tried to make that game good again, right? They put in the effort. They understood people paid money for that game. And they made it work, 
right? That, that's, you know, it's the indie perspective. With Anthem, not only do you have the backing of a major publisher to where you can cut bait and run, uh, it's not an established franchise, right? It's not. So neither of those things kind of apply. So I think they, EA's in the best posi- position out of those three games because they have the easiest out of all of them. What I would hope is that looking at their projects that we know about in terms of Bioware, because it seems like the resource management here is based on Bioware, Bioware working on Anthem, Bioware working on these other titles. I would hope that they take the lessons they learned from Anthem and maybe some of the new features that they were working on for the big new relaunch and put those towards Mass Effect 4 because that's the closest correlation in terms of the projects that Bioware has, right, that matches Anthem is a futuristic sci-fi shooter that's Mass Effect 4. And the thing I heard, despite it having repetitive content, a lack of, like, stuff to do, yada, yada, all this stuff, everyone loved how the flight suits felt. Like, you felt like Iron Man. Everyone loved it. You hop into that thing, you check it out, it feels dope. And I hope that that's a part of Anthem that maybe bleeds its way into Mass Effect 4 if that was like the creme de la creme, creme de la creme of Anthem. And I'm with you. They should just cut bait, move forward. At this point, I don't know what kind of good faith you're garnering because here's the thing. It's a big gamble too, Dom. If they come out with this relaunch of Anthem and it's bad, that's a double whammy on Bioware in terms of how the public perceives them on top of the Mass Effect Andromeda stuff or the initial Anthem launch. And you're kind of setting yourself back and I don't know if the gamble's worth it. Would you rather gamble on a relaunch of a game people already don't like or would you gamble on Dragon Age 4, right? And bringing a franchise people have desperately wanted back since Inquisition and nailing that. And I don't know. For me, it feels like if they release Dragon Age 4, and it's like a 75, right? I think people are more okay with that and would be happier with Bioware. Obviously, people would be mad that it wasn't this exceptional title, don't get me wrong. But people would be happier about that than if you relaunch Anthem, Anthem Next, and it's just as bad as Anthem was, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I guess I'm making some assumptions because Dragon Age 4 is in development, right? Like, it, we already know that. So that game is yeah. going to happen. And so I guess I'm making an assumption that, like... W- one way or the other whatever happens with anthem has any impact at all on dragon age it might not right whether anthem proceeds or not might be totally irrelevant to to dragon age 4 um yeah but i think it's more of a resource thing like why would we have these people working on this project just move them over so maybe the timeline for dragon age 4 gets bumped up a couple of months you know what i mean or maybe the timeline is still the same but you have more eyes on it right and i do think that the people working on anthem might be some of the most valuable stuff to Mass Effect 4 because, like I said, the correlation between the two is eerily similar. And if those people saw firsthand what went wrong with Anthem's development, they can give a good eye on what Mass Effect 4 needs to avoid, right? So, and they're the ones that, if you're working on the Anthem reboot, Dom, you're hearing all of this feedback from fans and they likely have a list of these are the biggest problems that fans have with the game that we need to work on, right? So you can take that experience with you to Mass Effect 4 and be like, hey, these are the things that we know that people have issues with, and let's make sure that we don't have these issues when Mass Effect 4 launches, you know? I just, I don't see the value in Anthem coming back from anybody, even gamers' perspective. Like, people who are dying to see if Anthem could be a great game, what do you get out of that game coming back and being good? Like, I don't, I don't understand... Because anybody who's interested in Anthem is likely interested in Mass Effect 4. And if you told people, you either can get an Anthem reboot this year, but Mass Effect 4 is booted by a year. I'm Obviously, I'm making assumptions. Or they ditch the Anthem thing and Mass Effect 4 releases a year earlier than it's anticipated to or expected to in terms of project management. What would most people choose? Give me Mass Effect a year sooner, right? Whenever that is, I'm not going to delay it a year. And obviously, that's not how these things work uh, necessarily. But I I don't know. I just don't see any reason why they should continue working on it. Now, I want to also say those developers are probably putting a lot of work into that. And I don't want their work to go to waste. But at the same time, is it work they're proud of in terms of like, is it excruciating? Is it like tedious? Like what exactly is? I know from a quality perspective, they're probably... Uh, thankful for the work they're doing, but I don't know if it's fulfilling necessarily, and we'll never know that. Um, so I don't want to, you know, harp on 
them all the work they've put in but i just don't see why anybody wins in this situation the developers the gamers or the publisher right yeah not not a risk <sighs> worth having shorter podcast this week uh but i wanted to touch on if we've played anything at all i haven't really had a chance to hop in anything this week I'm kind of busy with stuff um i have been teetering on going back and playing through the dark souls trilogy again uh <laughs> Which is one of those funny things of like, do I start Bloodborne for the first time, or do I just go and play the Dark Souls trilogy again, or do I go and play Sekiro again? Uh, <laughs> Wait, I forget. I always forget this, man. Um, you've never played Bloodborne. I've never played Bloodborne, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's gonna be my recommendation for you, of course. Yeah, um, you know, it's the thing though. Is like, I rarely turn on my PS4, so I, it's one of those things. Like, I don't want to have to turn it on and sit through all the updates, which will only take like ten minutes. But it's just one of those hurdles. And remember, I still have Persona 5 on my PS4 as well. So I have two games I can boot up and get into. Um, so I have plenty of options. I just haven't had a chance to do anything uh, in terms of play anything meaningful. Is there anything else I wanted to mention in terms of stuff I was playing or looking forward to playing? Oh, no. But I want to give a shout out to the Pokemon promotion that's happening at McDonald's. So for the 25th anniversary, Dom, they have Pokemon packs of cards. And there's 25 cards in the set, and they're all the starter Pokemon plus Pikachu. Because there's eight generations, eight times three, 24 plus Pikachu. And uh, I think it's really cool. Obviously, I love Pokemon. Um, I don't know if you remember when we were younger when, I don't know if it was Burger King or McDonald's had the the oh, Disney yeah. glasses. And then they also had the oh. Pokemon. Well, no, the Pokemon Gold cards, right? Is, which That's is what I thought I was going to talk about. Yeah, but then McDonald's also had like the Disney glass, like... Uh, Disney glasses with like the Disney films etched on the outside. There was like Lion King and Toy Story. I don't know if you remember them or not, but they were mm-hmm. dope. There was like a collection of six of them. Uh, but yeah, these da- looking back on it, isn't that weird that like kids' toys were glass cups, well glasses, right? Not like weird dingy plastic toys, but like cups or like thick gold cards that were like heavy uh, with the giant pokeballs. Um, Ah, the good old days. Uh, anyways, that's it for me in terms of what I've been playing, which is nothing. Uh, you have anything of note? Yeah, I got a bit here, actually. Um, some, like, interesting stuff. So first, the lesser interesting thing is I finished uh, Dark Pictures Anthology uh, Little Hope, right? So the second okay. part in that anthology. Um, and I talked a little bit uh, last time, uh, uh, two weeks ago. And that it was a, a good amount better than Man of Madon. However, it still like had the corniest dialogue um, in both delivery and writing. It was just like, wow, like that is yikes. Um, but after <laughs> finishing, <laughs> it's what you think, right? Like I, like the worst, like corniest horror movie tropes you could think of. Like that's the delivery that that was going on in this game. But that being said. Um, there were a bunch of characters that were still more interesting than the characters from Man of Medan. Um, and the setting was more interesting. They have like a, this whole, um, you know, they get strand, their bus gets stranded in the middle of this, you know, this town in the middle of nowhere. There's this mysterious fog that when they try to walk through it, they just get teleported back to where they were. Um, so they're kind of trapped in this like old uh east coast town and you know we find out that there were these witch trials that happened there and so they're getting haunted by like you know these premonitions of uh old witches when they're not witches actually duh because the it was just regular people who were burned at the stakes and stuff like that (laughs) because people thought they were witches right um god yeah it's a it's a you know we get into all that the gameplay is you know pretty basic for this kind of thing it's you know a lot of a lot of quick time events but um Quick time events with high stakes, right? Because, uh, you know, certain characters can live or die if you uh, don't push the X button quick enough uh, on certain things, right? Or or when you're hiding behind a, a giant log and you uh, have to... Uh, it's kind of like Until Dawn where you have to hold the controller still. Otherwise, right. something will find you. Except in this case, you have to, like... It's like a rhythm thing where you have to push the button along with a heartbeat. It's kind of corny. But, you know, it's fun enough. But, um... The story itself was 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 all right. It was not bad, but had a great great twist at the end that I actually really thought was pretty cool. Um, and it worked pretty well. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, overall a better a better game than than Man of Medan. And I was 
I was happy with this. You know, for thirty bucks too, it's not, um, you know, it's half price game. Like, like that's the regular price. So, it's a. Uh, I think if you like these types of games, and this one I can more easily recommend. Um, whereas Man of Madonna, I was kind of like, ah, I wouldn't even recommend it. Really, I just don't even bother. <laughs> Hard right? pass. Yeah. Yeah. This this one was uh, a good amount better with a few caveats of of stuff that at the end of the day, like a lot of horror fans are like, you know, mostly like, yeah, I get it, kind of kind of issues but you know it was fun it was a fun time the more interesting thing though is i i i got stuck in that that rut um chris always talks to us about this i feel like i'm like i don't know what game to start next i've been bouncing off this i tried shadow of war couldn't really get into it um tried i i turned on i downloaded persona 5 and i was like who am i kidding i'm not doing this shit um (laughs) i'm gonna play this game for like 100 hours i'm kidding no i'm not gonna do that sorry um I have a whole conversation. I can go out and like a whole rant about like a lot of people um, really like to get on from software games from being inaccessible because they're so difficult. Um, but we don't hear a lot of the same things about persona games being inaccessible because they're so long. Right. Or JRPGs like, in general, for the most part, right? They're yeah, usually like 80 hour games at the bare minimum. You hear about these games with these incredible stories and characters, but it's like, you got to commit to like, a hundred over a hundred hours for persona 5 royal and it's like dude yeah i'm sure the game is great and you probably get really invested and i believe you but like i'm not that's inaccessible for a lot of people who don't have uh you know a lot of time um whereas the FromSoft games yes difficult not that long um you know 30 hours 30 to 40 hours uh, even if you're a beginner for most of them anyway didn't play persona 5 is the point <laughs> but what i did get into because it was a apparently a ps plus game um, at some point in the past was the original Neo. Cause this was something that somehow I never played. Um, so obviously it's a, it's similar, you know, it, it takes a lot of inspiration from dark souls, um, and bloodborne even, but, um, also has a lot of big differences. So it, at this point, I'm, I don't know, I'm probably at least, at least 10 hours in and I'm fully addicted. It's, uh, it's really cool. So I'm not even playing like the remastered version that just came out for PS5. I'm just, it's just like the old version through back compat, which, um, which runs great. There's different like performance modes. So, um, being able to like kind of manipulate those because I'm on a PS5 uh, is actually kind of nice. And I was like, going like, do I really want to pay $50 for just to like bump up the resolution would be, you know, about it. Cause either way that it's like, lock 60 frames per second still so it's pretty nice but um this uh the the combat is very much um uh like a mix of sekiro and bloodborne right but but probably even faster paced you know so it's like and it's on par like it's definitely like feels as good if not better than both of those games um, it just feels so good the, the fighting in this game is just apt it's just super cool um now, as far as, like, um, the structure, it's, you know, there's, like, a hub screen, and then there's missions. And so each level is, like, a mission, right? This isn't, uh, this is closer to, like, Demon Souls, but even less, even more segregated missions than that, where, like, you're going, you're selecting a mission, and you're just in this not that big of an area, and you're doing stuff in there. There's a few... You know, you unlock some shortcuts and navigate through that smaller level, but it's it's nowhere near like the level design of like Dark Souls One, right? Which is just masterclass. So it's it's missing that element, which is a bummer. But um, <clears throat> it's it's still like that combat is just so good, man. It's it's hard to describe. It takes took me a couple hours to like start to get because it's super super difficult. But at this point, I've started to. Um, attached to it i'm starting to get a good flow going and i'm starting to go through bosses at a good pace and and it's super rewarding and then the last aspect of it though that is is new for me and i remember hearing this about this game but it was always kind of a something i never understood was it's it's one of those loot games right it's a it's borderlands or diablo 3 or you know one of those examples where you're constantly getting uh, new gear and armor and weapons and, and stuff like that, right? Just all the time. And you're, you know, all the loot is color coded based on rarity. So, um, <clears throat> you're constantly upgrading into, into new stuff. Um, the, the, uh, there's actual like upgrade systems, like a blacksmith and all that. And like, 
combining and disassembling weapons. Um, there's so much of that going on in the, the stat system. So if you played Dark Souls 1 and really got into all the minute stats and like how you level up and how that affects, you know, to the 10th of a percentage um, of your equip load and how fast that makes you and all these tiny little details or every half percent matters um, and affects what's going on. Like that's all here, like in, in absolute spades, like super deep um, systems like that, that affect the gameplay. And so that um, very intimidating and hard to understand at first, but as you get into it and uh, understand it better at the, it becomes like super rewarding. So if you think of, you know, Dark Souls where you're, you know, like often getting rewarded, like you're leveling up, this is like very, like even way more often that you're getting rewarded. As as tough as it is, you're getting constant rewards and like there's a carrot in front of you like all the time just to continue to, you know, very small amounts at a time get better and level up. It's It's pretty cool and it's something that I've never... I never really played a game that had a loot system like that before, so I'm um, finally got into it. it. Took me a couple hours, to, like, to grind through and like, ah, this is this is hard. This is weird. I don't. There's purple gear, blue gear. What the hell? Um, uh, it, it was tough. Um, but I'm I, I'm super addicted to it so far. Um, the story is uh, I don't I have no idea what the hell is going on, but it's all right. <laughs> a couple of questions. One. Uh, do you know the like the length of this game? Like how long is it gonna take you to probably beat it? Yeah. Um apparently it's it's uh forty or fifty hours. Um okay. you know, for a for a playthrough. Um a lot of people um have said like there's really two games to, to Neo and that's like your first playthrough. But then once you get to New Game Plus apparently is like where the real Neo starts, right? Like one of those oh, corny sayings. Because yeah. that's where the the loot grind really kicks in so like the first time you play through the game you're you're, it's more like a souls game right where you're like beating bosses and like it's it's that kind of thing of overcoming those challenges and then it apparently transforms into like the the purest like loot grind of a game of like a like a destiny end game kind of thing apparently and apparently people have spent like a thousand hours in in this game at that point where they really get into it so i don't think i'm gonna go to that extent but um i certainly want to see it through could you see yourself hopping into the sequel as soon as you finish this one? That is absolutely my plan. Because apparently um, the sequel is even a, a better, more refined version uh, of the first game. So I'm I'm excited. And then for the sequel, I don't own it already. So I probably will, you know, uh, naturally get the remastered PS5 version, which is even I think it even like it even has like a 120 FPS mode, which is wild. I don't think my TV would know what to do with that i don't think it would work you know but um but you know it'll at least look super pretty at at less frame uh, a lower frame rate than that at least so that's yeah that's my plan is to jump into that as i await this cyberpunk ps5 version to come out yeah as i await the avengers uh xbox series x version oh yeah that too yeah (laughs) uh and also yeah the cyberpunk one the they're both they're both published by sony right so they're both still exclusive yeah i'm pretty sure they're on pc as well but i don't think they made it to to xbox because sony is some playing some role in that so yeah hey at least at least xbox players are getting mlb the show this year at least there's that uh, yeah i mean that's pretty it's pretty cool that that finally made that made the jump that's kind of that was kind of a weird thing to keep excluded but mlb is like hey we want to sell this on other platforms and sony's like yeah yeah, but we like it as an exclusive, and MLB's like, well, if you want to pick the license, if you want to keep the license, then you got to do what we ask. And they're like, oh, okay. Because, yeah. I mean, baseball is the third most popular sport in the United States. I'm not trying to bash on baseball, but obviously it doesn't have the popularity of the NFL. And then NBA isn't even close to the NFL, but it's also ahead of the MLB. So I'm pretty sure MLB was like, we're losing out on sales because you don't want to release it there. And I'm assuming, despite how great of quality releases MLB The Show's had, it can't sell all that well. Like, it's not hitting 2K uh, Madden numbers yeah. or FIFA. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I don't know. It's it's cool. I'm glad that Xbox finally has, like, a real simulation baseball game again. And like we said uh, last week with when Chris was on, if you're a fan of baseball and you're an Xbox primary player, you better buy this game to show them that 
it's a good thing that they're bringing this over because not only does you know Sony want to see the dividends of bringing it over to another platform more importantly the MLB wants to see like okay yeah removing the exclusivity was a smart move so if you care about it and here's the thing it's probably going to review very well because the MLB the show games always review very well so it's not like putting your money behind a, a poorly received game just for the fact of you want more baseball games you know it'll likely be a very high scoring game as well um that's it for this week's show i think that was it sorry was that everything you wanted to cover in terms of what you played yeah no that that's yeah. everything i've i've been kicking the tires on mortal shell that game looks really interesting oh, yeah. yeah um i'm talking about souls likes uh, i've been curious about that one <clears throat> it was also announced today too that spirit fair is getting updates throughout the year which is surprising because i didn't think that game was a game that was going to have updates which has yeah. me curious of what those are if it's like additional content or you know whatever anyways that's it for this week's show uh, episode 218 219's next week hopefully there's some news <clears throat> sorry i'm like losing my voice at the end of this let me get a swig of water real quick uh the universal way of telling me the show's over um i have a weird feeling that we're gonna have some like major news next week uh it's been a couple of oh. weeks without something major sorry good no, you're right. Uh, by next week, will it'll be it'll be announced that uh, it'll finally be announced that Microsoft bought Sega. So that'll be exciting to talk about. <laughs> or Square Enix or something. Yeah, who knows? Um, but I think actually speaking of that, the, the Europe's looking over the Bethesda deal. I think, and it could be approved this week, uh, legally. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Anyways, that's it for this week's show. We'll catch you guys next week. If you want, go over to YouTube, search Controlled Interest. We'll pop right up. Like the video if you enjoy the podcast. Hit the bell notification so you know when we upload new podcasts because you can't trust the YouTube sub boxes. Comment. Let me know what you think of what we talked about this week. Should Bioware move on from Anthem? Any other topics we discussed this week, let us know. Uh, we're on Instagram now, uh, posting whenever the new podcast goes live. So if you prefer that over uh, YouTube, you can get a notification Listen to us on all the podcast platforms, being Apple, Google, Spotify is the one I recommend. I think it's the easiest for podcasts. Check us out there. On Twitter, you can find us at C-T-R-L-I-N-T. It's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. You can follow us personally at Dom's Oreos or me at Jared Weich. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. See you then. Bye.